the last time I was in front of you, I was talking about David, the king that didn't want to go to work, and what happened as a result. Everybody thinks it started with um, him sitting on top of the um, castle and looking down at this beautiful woman, but it started even before that. In our daily lives, the decisions that we make are so important. But building off of that, I want to um, start a series on the book of James, which is one of my favorite books in the New Testament, actually. Because really, James contrasts with Paul very significantly in that Paul goes into great theological depths and all about faith and the inner workings of faith, whereas James talks about the actual application of our faith, how to work it out how to relate to each other, how to deal with issues that we think only we can deal with, all those sorts of things. And it's always good, before we get into any state, to have a bit of context. In most books, epistles, they start with a greeting. Um, and I'm really going to go through each one of the verses, because you'll see there's, there's so much in, in each line. And James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of this I'm sure you've heard already, but it's always good to be refreshed. I'll go very quickly. Joel, please free to stop me with a comment or a question. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the book written by? Most people say it's James, the brother of Jesus. You know, there are arguments for some other people, but generally people say it's James, the brother of Jesus. It says a servant of God. If we go back to the old text, it'll actually say a slave. Right. Well, these days, you know, we like to think of, you know, we aren't any one servant, and you know, being a slave is a bad word. But in those days, we have to think of the context. You know, who is it? Who is he writing to? He's pretty much saying, "I'm given over to God, freely given, given over to God, totally." You know, and he's saying, "God and of the Lord Jesus Christ." He's not distinguishing between the two. And who is it written to? Really, it's written to the Jews, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. The dispersion goes back to um, when Stephen was stoned, back in Acts 7. After Stephen was stoned, the Jews decided to hightail it out, and they went all over the world. And we think of that as being a terrible thing, but not necessarily. Because when the twelve tribes left and went into the various regions, what is the one thing they were able to accomplish as a result? Can you imagine? Spreading the gospel. Yeah. If that didn't happen, if you hadn't had something as so-called disastrous as Stephen being stoned, they all would have stayed where they are. And you have these individuals like Paul going here, you know, and everyone else going all over the place, whereas these are groups of people able to support each other and able to spread the gospel. And these were the Jews that had the word, not the Gentiles. And it starts with this reading. Um, and it's always good if you have your Bibles to, to follow, because quite often you have different translations and sometimes they bring different meanings. Okay. Brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so bring honor to himself. Which it's true. Yep. The servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's very true. Yeah. He could have been trying to bring honor to himself. And 
throughout the book, unlike some other writers in the New Testament, he doesn't talk about himself a whole lot. I always have a problem with one of the writers in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. He's always talking about himself. Um, that was a joke. You will never laugh at my joke. <laughs> Count it all, Joy. I was going to ask you which writer was. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything. You didn't have to. If you want to talk about himself. Absolutely no respect. <laughs> Count it all, Joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, verse two, does that make sense? At all? Well, for believers, do you think it may, do you think we really look at that and actually take hold of that and see that something applicable to us. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I mean, I've told the story many times of what I call one of my, what I used to call one of my body experiences. When I pray to the Lord, I mean, not to come at some point, but to come immediately. Well, I can tell you, I was not counting it all joy. By no means. I'm ready to cut and run. So what you're saying is, Josie and I should be really, really glad about last week. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, yes. And we'll get there. Well, I'm not necessarily glad about what happened last week, but the fact that you are hid with Christ in God and it's for your good and his glory. And what, it, and what it does and what it will do for you. Yes. Because we always need to see the big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, when we see the big picture, we can experience things like that elusive, those elusive words of freedom and joy. And actually a little bit of happiness too. Actually a lot of happiness. Comfort. It yeah. is true. They say laughter releases some endorphins yeah, mm-hmm. that make it out of here. Mm-hmm. Rosina and I had pretty much the same type of week. I threw my back out just because we over there. And last night I laid down and the dog went to the bathroom on the floor so I had to get up and clean it up. And let me tell you, I was ready to scream so I laid back down and I just started laughing. I couldn't start laughing and Grandma like, he's like, what's wrong with you? I said, well, it's either laugh or cry. I said, the laughter is better for you. I said, so I'm laughing. <laughs> Um, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And you see that James looks at two sets of trials in the early verses. The testing of your faith, which is coming from the outside, and the temptation, which is coming from the inside, later on. Um, let's see this coming from the outside. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I was watching this, I watched this movie, it was sometime last year, 
and there was this girl who was, who was dying of some terminal illness. And the comment was made to her, you know, why would God allow something like this to happen to you, especially as you're so nice and simple? You know, and she, she pondered it for a while. And do you know what, what the response was there? You know, without suffering, there would be no compassion. I had a discussion on Thursday night with a young lady, very opinionated young lady. And she was upset with some of the young men in church. Because as far as she was concerned, they had a misguided opinion of a woman's place. And she's, she's saying, you know, she was going to stop coming to church, etc., because the teaching of the church is that a woman's place is in the home and women are supposed to bear children. And she's going on and on. So I said, well, can we have an extended discussion about this? And can we just agree the rules of the game? And if we can agree that whatever God's decision is, we both will have to abide by. But she didn't agree to that, but she sort of listened to me. And then I said, you know, if we can agree on that, we can have a good discussion. So she was willing to have a discussion. Now, my comment, to, one of my first comments here will be to address those issues. Because she sees staying at home and having children as a trial, as something totally against her ambitions, her desires, and what's good for women generally. And, obviously, and of course, you know, I'm going to say, well, you have to agree that God made us different, men and women. And everybody here is on 18, right? Okay. Um, men physically are made totally different from women. And fortunately or unfortunately, men have the hardware to impregnate women. Women have the hardware to bear children. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on God's sense of humor, men cannot bear children. So it is the law of the woman to bear children. And there's no choice about it. And, well, the doctors are trying to change that, I know. But that's not the design. When women go through the trials of labor, of course, I always argue with Denise here. The reason why God allowed women to have children is because they, God knew that men could handle pain and women can't, so that was part of the curse. <laughs> um, so the women are going through all of this labor, but I know very few women, when they see that child, and they've actually persevered, hate the result. That's a bit of an analogy. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Something great happens as a result of the testing. Without that testing, you won't improve. You'll just stay where you are and you'll be comfortable where you are. And you have really no desire to move on. And if you talk, think of steadfastness as Christ-likeness, 
the testing of your faith as all of those trials and tribulations that are going to come. Your faith is actually going to be proven by how you react to those trials in your life. And James addresses that forevermore. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I had a really great experience this weekend. I went sailing, sorry, not that sailing. I sailed the boat for the first time. And I was amazed at how a boat can actually be handled and the sail, just using the wind. Um, but just like any other boat, there's always those occasions when if you don't listen to the captain or the person that knows the course that you ought to be going on, there's a really good chance you'll run aground. And I came out of Coral Harbor and I saw a marker and I decided I was going to make a turn to starboard sooner than I should have. And the fellow was teaching me how to sail this boat. What he said was, don't take the bait. That was the easy way out. Because really, the boat was leading me rather than me leading the boat. And what James is saying is, stay the course. Stay the course. When these trials come, don't give up and say, I can't handle it. Let them play themselves out. Allow the Lord to work in and through you. And by having its full effect, we will become Actually, this is the process of sanctification. You're on the road to perfection and complete, lacking in nothing. And that is the Lord's desire for us. You know, we go on to verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives journey to all without, without reproach, and it will be given him. And a lot of us go on to verses like that. Just ask the Lord. This is a little lesson in Bible study too. Don't just stop there. What does it say? There's a way we're supposed to ask. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, a lot of people take that to mean if you ask, and you actually believe it's going to happen, it's going to happen. We have to read on. Because even further down in James, he actually addresses this whole question of faith, what it is, and how we're supposed to ask, and the attitude that we're supposed to ask. Let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Does that have any application to how we make decisions in our lives? How we view the trials that come our way? 
I mean, are we like me yesterday? Instead of going straight down the channel that I know is tried and true, I decided to take a shortcut and go, you know, where I shouldn't go, with a great possibility of running aground. Now, James, and I guess in modern language, would have been the pastor to these people prior to them being dispersed. And he's writing to them because he realizes that they need guidance. They are facing issues. And he's trying to address the issues that he's heard about. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. When we have a problem or something we don't understand, where do we normally, where do we normally go? What's our, what's our default? What's our normal default? I've told you all many times what my default is. <laughs> What's your normal default? Well, my normal default is me. Um, and unfortunately, I actually didn't even know what you said. Because quite often if I my default was Denise, I would have gotten into a lot of the problems that I did get into. And that's talking about lack of communication with people who are trustworthy and that you know well. But, you know, there's always, what is it, um, the books for dummies, the one minute this, um, all sorts of things. And when we've actually hit rock bottom, our default is then, well, some, sometimes, the Word of God. What James is saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Now, quite often, when you ask even that trusted person, if it isn't, I told you so, or if you've done as I told you this, or whatever, there's always, or quite often, you know, a downside for that person's perspective on the issue. What James is saying, many of you lack wisdom. He doesn't say, go to the pastor, or go to the doctor, or go to this book or that book. He says, let him ask God. You know, as Christians, we have direct access to God. We can pray. We've got his word. Let's use the actual tools and the resources that God has given us. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. Does that mean anything to us? Every line of scripture is important. And James, actually, as far as I can see, is a writer that doesn't waste words. As far as he's concerned, he's got a scroll that's only so long. He's going to fill it. He's going to make sure it counts because these people need help. Now, I'm looking at that. 
And where's my body go? Oh, there we go. So always good to help various story. Because does anyone else have um this is um English standard version. Does anyone have another version? For one seven. Verse 7? Yes. Mine is King James. Okay, let's go. Nothing wrong with King James. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Right. The New International. James 1-7. The New International says, The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Right. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. That man that they're talking about is the man who has no faith. So, you know, when we see someone who says there is no God, and then it's all of a sudden some affliction comes some issue comes and now he's begging on the name of the Lord and wondering why the Lord doesn't answer his prayer. Well, here's why. You know, you can't be saying Lord, Lord in one breath and then there is no Lord in the other. You know, actually further on we hear about the prayers of what sort of man availeth much. It's a righteous man. So when we pray, we also have a responsibility to have clean hearts and to be living proper and upright lives. Okay? Now, let the lowly brother boast this goes to Rosine and, um, and Candy. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Some versions talk about the poor man and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. This is talking about those things that are common to all men. What is the, who do we normally boast about? Who are normally the people that we put on pedestals? Give me an ad, some adjectives. Pardon? Movie stars. Movie stars. Okay, movie stars, yep. Those are people who are very popular. Athletic stars. Athletic stars. Politicians. Well, I don't know, politicians are on the table of month right now. Like put pencil on them. Well, they, they put themselves on pencils. Right? But whether it's money, popularity, physical attributes, you know, we can put those as the rich. But the lowly, who do we normally look at as the lowly? People who have little money? People who may consider to be of lower intellect than ourselves? People who are afflicted with certain diseases? Now, there was a time when if you told anyone that you had AIDS, my goodness, you may as well have been dead. 
you were basically the untouchable. It was like the leper in the old days. Uh, that's not totally, we are not totally on the religious up. I understand that, but we are far more, well, ever since magic, we've gone a long way. Yeah, my, <laughs> my wife and I, we, we went to the food store uh, a couple of days ago and she has this t-shirt that says, I have AIDS. Who had this t-shirt? Helen. Helen was wearing a t-shirt? She was feeling mischievous, was she? No, she... It's a way of provoking people. And this gentleman said, Do you realize what you wear? He says, yes. He says, you see what your shirt says? He says, I know, I bought it, I put it on there. Something wrong with you. He said, yes, I have it. He knew her. No, he didn't. Oh, he didn't. No, he, so he just, he just, he just came up to her and asked her if she, so, she realized what the shape was saying. Right. He didn't ask her. Is that true? No, he didn't ask. <laughs> it was true. <laughs> All right. Okay. But you know, those are the lowly among us, and to be quite honest, one of us have a lowly characteristic. And all of us have a rich characteristic. What this is saying is, no matter how we think of ourselves, as Christians, we have something to boast about. And what is that? One, I mean, the one thing that all Christians have in common is we have that gift of salvation. We have the gift of eternal life. You know, as I like to say to insurance salesmen, you know, you're selling me life insurance, but I can never, I mean, that's more like death insurance, because I will never collect, right? And for one thing, one thing's for sure, I'm gonna die. You know, what Jesus Christ didn't even sell me, what he gave me was true life insurance. That was eternal life insurance. I get the benefit of it. And that's what we have. No matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter what affliction we think we've got, whether it's sickness, whether it's poverty, whatever it is, and I have an issue about Christians being poor, because whatever, Christ, whatever as Christians we need, other Christians should be able to provide. Is part of that is what brotherly love is all about. Now, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now, the rich man who may be glorying in his wealth, his good looks, uh, his popularity, which will all pass away, may not put a whole lot of stock in salvation, which he considers to be not of much worth, but that's what he should be boasting in. And how he, you know, Christ humbled himself, and the rich man should be willing to humble himself, and be able to humble himself, and to be able to glory in that. Actually, that story of Sister Helen. I have AIDS. She was identifying with the outcasts in our society. 
but she was able to not boast proudly, but be able to take whatever abuse she would have gotten or ridiculed because she knew who her savior was and what he could do for her. So if she had AIDS, that's not the end of the world. Actually, that's not a great impact in her world because of her relationship with Christ. You know, the things I was going through, you know, there have been times in my life when I had no idea where the next dollar would come from. There have been times in my life when I would call it absolute character assassination. Times in my life when I really felt I was not worth a whole lot. However, the one thing that was constant throughout all those times was my ability to call upon the Lord. And those were the only things that allowed me to actually be here right now. If anyone knew me as a, well, I guess not even, no, maybe not as well, as a teenager, kinds of words that you use to describe it probably would be introvert, definitely shy. Um, if you were to tell me at any point in time then that I would marry someone like Denise, in behaving parlance I'd say you lie. Absolutely impossible. My son once said to me, and it actually it made me laugh and it made me really think about that. I said, you know, Dad, you must be pretty fit to be able to marry someone like Mom. <laughs> I said, why'd you say that? I said, well, she's good looking, and she's smart, and she actually loves you. <laughs> I said, you know, I thought to myself, you know, son of mine is pretty clever, pretty intuitive. <laughs> but for me to talk with someone like Denise, Move on. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What God gives us are the riches that we should be protecting and be trying to expand. What we think we've found for ourselves or created ourselves, they're going to fade away. You know, when you look at very rich people and you read their stories, well, and when I think of rich, again, think of money, think of popularity, think of looks. Uh, I've been alive long enough that I've seen the difference. I've seen handsome, beautiful people. I've seen them age. And I've seen them, you know, those good looks fade away. I've seen popular, hugely popular people become the most unpopular people that you can imagine. When a rich man dies, like they say, can't take it with him. Don't 
look at other people and say, look how God has blessed them. Why couldn't it be me? Look at what God has done for you and boast in that. When we come here on Sunday morning, after you leave this class, you really want to pay attention to me, count your blessings. You can see, you can hear, you can breathe. You may have difficulty doing it, but you can walk. You can think, you still have that sound mind. There's so many things that you have nothing to do with, but you have the benefit of. As Christians, we have the gift of salvation. That's a hope that we can never, never underestimate. And this is something that James is trying to keep us, um, keep us focused on. We're here for 50, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 something years. That salvation allows us to have a wonderful life for eternity, which is more than a million times that. We're just passing through. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We had a deep discussion last week about this whole issue of temptation between Shadwell himself and Pastor Arnett. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James is using the analogy here in verse 15. So please, don't think that for us to die as a result of sin, it has to be fully grown. <laughs> Whenever we yield to temptation, no matter whether it's at the beginning or the end, death occurs. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brother. So obviously there's something out there that's trying to deceive us. There's a lie out there. Be aware that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So that just means that these gifts exist. Every time someone is trying to tell you or you're beginning to feel how terrible your lot is in life, look at how great your lot is in life. We all have something to celebrate. You know, the personal pity party, there's no place for the personal pity party in the life of a Christian. Of his own belief, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's not embarrass God. 
by thinking that God is going to take care of us, that we aren't special, that we aren't called out by Him. Any comments at all? They have to close. Is there any assistance this week as we face our trials? Let them not come as a surprise. But also, when we find the good things happen in our lives, don't let that come as a surprise either. Let's celebrate what God has done for us. And what he continues to do for us. Actually, that's a responsibility that we've got. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Okay, Father, we thank you again for your word. Your word of truth. It brings such encouragement. It brings hope. It brings direction. But it allows us to experience the joy that you have for us. Father, we pray that in the midst of our trials, we will also see your blessings. And we pray that as we go through our trials, we will look to you for the wisdom that allows us to deal with the issues, that we will have victory in your strength, not in our own. We pray that we would stay the course, that you would guide us and keep us, watch over and protect us. Father, we pray that as we interact with each other and the wider community, that you would indeed be glorified, that you would be lifted up, and that men would be drawn to you by our love, our words and our actions. We just give you thanks for your Son, Jesus Christ. Now as we leave this place and we go into the sanctuary or we go to our homes or wherever that may be, we pray that you grant us safety and you allow us to Join one another again in fellowship and in obedience to your Son. Through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.